0: Good evening, good evening. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast, God's Holy Word. I am your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 95. And I thought that we would circle back to going straight through the book of Psalms. We've talked about Psalm 1, which we will, (coughs) excuse me, sorry, my throat's a little dry. We will reread that one because I reread it. And I reread it in the King James Version, and so many things popped out at me. And I'm very grateful for that. So I do want to pick back up on this series and read straight through the Book of Psalms and just have each each episode, excuse me, be one particular psalm, and just kind of go from there. So again, this is episode ninety five, and I'm reading from the King James Version of the Bible, which of course is very a, I would say Elizabethan. So it is very old-fashioned, but it's very beautiful. And the Bible I'm reading from is one that has very beautiful artwork in it. It was actually, um, the pictures that they have in there were, it's not painted, but it's drawn by, I believe, a Frenchman. Try to remember his name. Hold on, let me see if it's here. I think he did charcoal drawings, if I'm not mistaken, this Frenchman. Let me see if I can find it, because I don't want to tell you guys wrong. Uh, but this is the the Holy Bible, the King James Version. Um, oh, illustrated by Gustave Doré, D-O-R-E, and this Bible is printed by Barnes and Noble of of New York, which is very interesting that Barnes and Noble is printing something like this because Barnes and Noble has turned, I would say, very uh, liberal and just kind of. Not pleasantly so. Um, there was, gosh, was it last year? I went to Barnes & Noble locally, and they uh, they were very pro-gay rights, pro-genderism, uh, and my mouth just kind of dropped. They had all this kind of homosexual paraphernalia in their store, which I did not think was appropriate because children go there to read, And families spend time there, so I felt that that was very inappropriate because it is not the job or the role of a store to try and convince people of a different type of agenda. I think that if someone is gay or transgender, that's them personally. But I don't think that's appropriate for a store to push that, especially a bookstore where they have a huge children's section. And I just felt that it was very inappropriate. But I ordered this particular Bible online through a completely separate website and at the time when I ordered it I was not aware that it was printed by Barnes and Noble I just purchased it because I wanted this Bible so it needs to say uh, very disappointed in Barnes and Noble because they used to be very normal and now um, they have some very weird people working at their stores at least the ones here in Oklahoma and it's It's sad because you see a lot of unprofessionalism and it's very political and the books that they are promoting are very much not what you would want children to read because children are innocent and they need to grow up in a good environment, not a sexualized environment. But anyway, um, I was just very disappointed by that. But the artist that drew these drawings in this particular edition of the Bible. Um, his name was Gustave Doré, and he was born in Strasbourg, France in 1832. And I'm just reading the the uh, biography here in the front of the Bible and began his career as an artist in Paris while still a teenager. Although he also worked as a sculptor and painter, he remains best known for his many illustrations. Um, Doré's extraordinarily Detailed and, and starkly dramatic work made him one of the most successful book illustrators of the 19th century. So I think it's really cool, the, um, the work that he did, especially in the Bible. I was just so amazed at his drawings. They're, they're just so beautiful, very to the point, and I'm very impressed with that. But anyway, if you haven't seen this Bible, it's very beautiful. Again, it's the King James Version, and it's, it's a really unique one. It's very beautiful anyway, let's go ahead and take a look here at the book of Psalms. I'm going to read the first one. So it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that springeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Okay, so when I reread this, this is probably, I don't know, a week or two ago that I reread this psalm and something just jumped out at me on the page here. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. That really stood out to me because I've noticed over the years, at least for me personally, it's very difficult for me to work with bad people. It's very difficult for me to work with ungodly people. Because typically the ungodly, um, typically they are not going to change to become godly. Typically they want you to become ungodly because they do not like what you stand for. And the reason why they do not like what you stand for is because you make them look bad, even though you are not purposely or intentionally making them look bad. It's that whenever you're working with someone that has integrity and honor, um, that is a very clear and different distinction from someone who does not have integrity and who does not have honor. And so I had actually worked recently uh, specifically with two people I can think of off the top of my head that they really um, were were very difficult people to work with. And I very much prayed for them, and I really had to hold my tongue um, and not say what I really thought about them because it would not have been worth it. You know, because I'm not going to lower my standards because of some idiot or people that, you know, I'm – I'm not going to be working with long time or sorry, long term, but also people that don't really care to change. So the next part of that verse says, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. That really stood out at me because I I think I've said this before. It's very important who you share a table with. I do everything I can to not eat with people that are scornful or that mock me or that disrespect me or that or that disrespect my faith or my religion. Here's the thing. You have to be careful who you keep company with. And that is exactly what this verse and what this psalm and basically what the entire Bible is all about. It's saying basically you need to keep holy good company. And here's the thing. I've learned from my personal experience that the more I dive into my faith and the closer I, I draw to Christ, the more uh, people I don't want to be around. And I don't mean that negatively, it's just that you need to be careful who you associate with. Like, I can look back and think, okay, I can see why this relationship did not work out, or this job did not work out, or maybe why there was a conflict or some irritation. I can see why. Because... When you do not think like the world, the world will hate you and they will disrespect you and they will do everything they can to set you up for failure and to dishonor you. Thank goodness for God, right? Thank goodness for his holy word because God's word is true. And the reason why God's word is true is because God is not one that can or would or could lie. God is truthful. God is faithful. It's the enemy that's the problem, (laughs) You know, it's the enemy and his goons that are the problem. And I chuckle because I think about how many awful people I've come across in my lifetime. I'm only 39. I just think about some people can be very horrible or agitating or irritating, or maybe they're just unethical. And I don't mean that, oh, they're just unethical. I don't mean it like that. I, I just mean that there are different variances to bad, ungodly behavior. And for me personally, the more I grow my faith, the more I'm like, I will not accept anything less than God's best. And I've actually said that to people, like within the last, I think, three to five years, I've said, I will not accept less than God's best. And that does two things. It either angers people or people are surprised by it, but in a good way, because they they're like they kind of have this relaxed facial expression where, where it's like they're meeting a fellow believer in Christ and they're, they're thankful for it, like, like they're, they are relieved that someone else thinks like them. But that is very rare that I come across that because most people, even Christians, even though I practice a Jewish Christian faith, there are many Christians that they don't really want to change. They want to believe in God, they want to believe in Jesus, they want to be baptized, they want to be forgiven of their sins, but they're not really repentant. And here's the thing, only they and God know the the true intention of their heart. It is not for me, or for you, or for anyone, especially any kind of religious leader or anybody. It is not our business to determine what the state of someone's soul is. Now, I, I can take a guess at who's going to hell, but I don't really care to do that. I don't... you know, When I was younger, I was like, man, there's going to be a lot of people in hell. <laughs> there is, because there's just so many bad people that don't care to do what's right. But as I get older, you know, I I don't really care to think that way. I know there's going to be a lot of people in hell. I know a lot of people are going to hell. But my focus and, and my attention and my goal is on heaven. Whereas when I was younger... I'm very justice-driven. I'm very black and white, yes and no, down-to-earth, common sense kind of gal. And so because I'm very black and white, yes and no, I do not ever live in the gray area because it's it's always when I live in the gray area or, or whenever I'm operating out of irritation or maybe anger that it really bothers me. And I know that if something's bothering me, that I'm not doing what God wants me to do. So, I've learned that when something bothers me, I need to go to God immediately with that. And I need to let it go. Now, here's the thing. When you let something go, that doesn't mean that you are a doormat and that you are allowing other people to just walk all over you or that you're not going to report something that's really bad or that you're going to basically throw in the towel, not have ethics, not have morals, not have values. What I mean by letting it go is that you're casting your care On to the Lord. And you you are giving God a chance to actually help you. Because we have to give God a chance to help us. If we truly want to receive his help. Here's the thing. Can God help us? Yes. All day, all night. And he does. But here's the thing. We often, as human beings, tie his hands. when When we either say, oh, I got this. I can handle this. Or we don't even say that. But we act it out. We say, oh. Basically in our mind, and our heart, and our soul, we are trying to handle every little thing, but we are not consulting God first. And I'm not saying that, that you have to pull over on the side of the road and start lifting up incense or something stupid like that. I'm not saying that, that you do something for show. I'm saying that just in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, you just quietly ask God, what do you think about this? What do you think I should do? That's what I'm talking about here. So here's the thing. Let's read this from the opposite point of view. Because I've learned that whenever you look at things from the opposite, it really opens up your eyes. It really opens up your, your mind and your eyes to the, the way that God wants us to live and also how he wants us to believe. Because I've learned over the years just because someone says they believe And that they're a Christian or whatever. That doesn't mean diddly squat. That doesn't mean anything. It's just like when someone says they're a Republican. I'm like really. What does it mean to be a Republican? And most of the time. People are not really sure what to say to that. I'm like. I know exactly what to say. Because I know exactly who I am. What I am. And how I live my life. But when people don't really know. What they want in life, or maybe they don't want you to know what they want in life, that's when they kind of skirt it. So let's take a look at this from an opposite point of view. Okay, so it says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So let's say that you are walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Well, if you're doing the opposite of what God says, you're not going to be blessed. That's what this means. So by all means, choose blessing, not cursing. You'd be surprised how many times we curse ourselves. And I don't just mean by, like, language. I, I mean usually by our actions and our thoughts. So you got to be careful about this. Then it says, nor standeth in the way of the sinners. What if you are standing with sinners? Who are you standing with? And what are you standing for? Are you some crazy, liberal, progressive nutbag that thinks that anything inside the womb uh, should be killed? At any stage, even like after a child is born, this kind of stuff is going on in the United States and in Europe, and probably other places as well, like India. I mean, India is just as corrupt as China. I mean, it's it's really quite sick. And it goes on to say, "Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful." Scornful, excuse me. So let's say you are sitting with scornful people. Talk about a horrible evening. You know, I've sat with scornful people in times past, especially when I was in college, and I was miserable. And I kind of felt trapped. It never dawned on me to just get up and walk away because I thought, well, we're all young. We're all learning. No, don't ever associate with people based on your age or on kind of to have this open mindedness kind of thing. Because, do you really want to be like the people that you are around if the people you are around are bad? That's what this is saying. So, if you're sitting in the seat of the scornful, what does that say about you? What does that say about your your relationship with God? What does that say about your character? Goes on to say, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Let's say you don't have any delight in the law of the Lord. In fact, you can't stand the law and you can't stand God. What does that mean for you? It means you're not going to be blessed. It means you're not going to be close to God. It means you're not going to honor and respect God. And you're probably thinking, well, I'm not really religious. I mean, I don't I don't want to have to read every day. Here's the thing, folks. I'm not talking about being super religious. I'm not talking about standing on a street corner, being a Bible thumper and, and like yelling at people. That's not what this is talking about. When it's talking about, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, that means that you love God for protecting you and providing you justice. That's what the Ten Commandments and and the entire Bible does. It provides you with a hedge of protection. See, a lot of people think, oh, well, there's just too many rules. Really? Is that how you view your relationships? Like, You'll say for example, you're dating someone and they cheat on you. Let's say they they have sex with somebody else. Doesn't that hurt you? Doesn't that feel painful to you that someone dishonored you, they slept with somebody else or or do you have the worldly view, oh well, you know, there's just too many rules? So I'm not going to be mad by what you did because I just don't really like all these rules. No, I guarantee you, even if you're atheist or agnostic, you're going to be irritated and angry and hurt that someone cheated on you. Why? Because the law of God is written on your heart. Regardless of whether you acknowledge that or not, God made us to know when we are wronged, and also, he made us to know that we are supposed to do right. That's just how it is. Goes on to say, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. So, let's say that you don't think you need to meditate on, on God at all, but yet you're Christian. Really. How do you know you're Christian if you don't even meditate on what God says? I mean, it's kind of like people that that say they are American citizens, but yet they've never read the Constitution of the United States, nor do they believe in the Constitution of the United States. I'm like, then why, why do you call yourself an American, and why do you even live here? If you don't believe in it, then why be here? I mean, go live anywhere else. That's fine. I don't care. But I think it's really hypocritical for people to say they're Christian, but they don't read the Bible. I also think it is hypocritical for people to say they're American and they love America, but they don't read the Constitution, never have, probably never will, and yet when they hear about the Constitution, they think they know it completely, and then they don't approve of the Constitution. I'm like, well, why don't you read it first and then make your decision? And if you don't agree with America or the Constitution, then don't live here. Go live in Canada. See how well it's going there with Trudeau. It's actually quite hell for the Canadians right now. So just be aware of that. Goes on to say, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Here's the thing. If you're not meditating on God's holy word day and night, if you're not drawing close to God, you will not be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You will be a dried up, shriveled up shrub and you will be a mean, hateful, evil, wicked person. It is impossible for you to be a good person and not know God. And I know that's going to rub people the wrong way, but on this show we say it like it is. I can't tell you how many, I uh, would say, atheists and agnostics I've met over the years or just so-called religious people or spiritual people, spiritual they either a don't believe in God or they do believe in God or a God and they just think oh well people are you know people can just be good it's like where do you think goodness comes from that's the thing goodness comes from God because he's written it on our heart goes on to say that bringeth forth his fruit in his season here's the thing if you're not connected to God you're not going to bring fruit In season, especially in the way that you're supposed to, meaning you will not have a fruitful life. And there will some that will disagree with me and say, well, Leslie, there's there's rich people that are heathens or pagans or uh, wickets or Hindus or atheist agnostics. Here's the thing. The devil loves to reward what is his own. So I wouldn't really look to the non-religious as a way of, oh, well, they're rich. Here's the thing, the devil loves to fool people, and he's very good at it. I'll give you an example. Let's say, for example, um, there there are many companies over in the eastern block of Europe that um, are owned and operated by some very sexually perverted men, and they own and operate a lot of porn over there, and it goes throughout the entire world the entire planet, and it's really grotesque. Those men, because they're not women, they're usually using women for sex trafficking. Those men make millions, if not billions of dollars in that industry. But is what they're doing good and holy? No. In fact, it's quite evil. So just because someone is successful, that doesn't mean they're doing what's right. So just be aware of that. The verse goes on to say his leaf also shall not wither. Here's the thing. If you are not connected to God, your leaf will wither, meaning your life will not be enriched. You may not live as long. You may not have as good as health. And you're probably thinking, well, are you saying God's trying to get rid of you? No, I'm saying that whenever you do not believe in God and you distance yourself from God and his way of doing things, you are personally And intentionally removing his hedge of protection from you. That's not God striking you with death or disease or destruction. That's you doing that. God wants to protect you. But if you deny him that opportunity to protect you, you have no one to blame but yourself. I've said this before. God doesn't send people to hell. People send themselves to hell. That's just how it is. God loves his children. God God made us in his image. God doesn't want to send anybody to hell, but he also can't save someone. He cannot save someone from hell if they have chosen that life. goes on to say, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. If you're not connected to God, whatever you do will not prosper, even if you are a millionaire. Here's the thing. Did you know that God can make you a billionaire or a trillionaire or, or whatever the case may be? Like, just think about some of the most evil people that have been rich. They didn't do it the right way. And God could have blessed them far more than they could have ever imagined if they had just done things the right way. Just because someone looks like they're prospering, that doesn't mean that they actually are. The next verse says, the godly are not so. Sorry, the ungodly are not so. But are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So here's the thing. If you're godly. The wind is not going to drive you away like the chaff. Because God's hedge of protection is around you. Also if you're godly. I'm trying to think of how to say this. If you're godly, judgment will be against your enemies, not against you. Because God will always give you justice. Because God loves and protects his children. So it says, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Well, here's the thing. I'm not always a fan of the word congregation because I've come across so many churches that their congregations are just so screwed up. And we as the body of Christ, we need to correct this stuff. We need to really focus on what God wants us to do. Because so many people leave church because they cannot handle the stress of what is going on within the body of Christ. Because they are not putting God first. They are putting themselves first. And that's a big problem. Needs to say, when you put God first... You will be with the righteous. You will be with the righteous. Here's the thing. When you put God first, that means you have to do your part to call people out on the bad stuff they're doing. Here's the thing. If someone doesn't want to change, guess what? They're not going to change. That is their own stupidity. I'm telling you, some people are so stuck in their ways, they will not change even for a red light. I mean, seriously, they they, they will not change to to save their life. They will not change to uh, save someone else's life. Here's the thing. It's a very selfish lifestyle to be ungodly. It's very selfish. The last verse says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. What that means is that if you are godly, you will not perish. Here's another thing. If you're ungodly, your path, your way is unrighteous. God cannot honor unrighteousness. Because evil cannot exist in the presence of God. It cannot. Like, why do you think God's tabernacle and His temple is so holy? Like, for example, whenever you give your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, you become the temple of God, your body. There is honor there. So needless to say, for example, when I was attending a different church in times past, I noticed that there is a lot of ungodliness at this other church I went to. But yet they're like, oh, we're Christian. We're Christian. It's like, I don't really think you are. I really don't see it. <laughs> here's the thing. The more the more my light got brighter, so to speak, for my soul, the more these people didn't like me. Because here's the thing. Whenever a light is shown in the darkness, a whole lot of stuff is going to become very evident. And many people don't want the rest of the church or other people to know what they're doing. And I found that in this church. There was lust, there was adultery, there there was alcoholism, there was pornography. And here's the thing, it wasn't really being addressed. It was creepy. I was like, okay, you say you're against all this stuff, but you're really not. You need to say what you mean and mean what you say. But I wasn't seeing that in this in this church I was going to. And I was like, okay, I've done what I can do. I've spoken up for what's right. And it's not working out. And guess what? Some people no longer wanted to be friends with me. I was like, wow. Um, so-called believers turn their backs on me. You know, that always hurts. But what really comforts my heart is when I think about from God's point of view, like if this hurts me and breaks my heart, it did hurt. It's not the worst pain I've ever felt, but I just thought, you know, if this is breaking my heart, that this is how so-called believers treat a fellow believer. I just wonder how much God's heart broke with that. Because God is seeing discontentment amongst his children. You know, there's a verse in the Bible, I can't remember where it is, I'll have to look it up, but there's a phrase called the children of wrath. That's what these people remind me of. They were so angry that that I did not agree with their lifestyle or their lifestyle choices. I'm like, well, I'm just doing what God wants me to do. And I thought we all read the Bible, but I I guess not. Because to me, it doesn't matter what translation you read, you need to do things God's way. But they did not agree with this. They did not agree with that at all. I just thought, okay, that's over my head. I've, I've spoken up for what, for what I believe in. And I've, I've, I've stood up for what I believe in. And I still continue to stand for what I believe in. It's just I know I can't force people to change. They basically have to have a come to Jesus moment. And usually that means at some point their life is going to get so bad that they fall to their knees. And then they go, oh, man. Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Here's the thing: there are many people they do not change until it gets really bad, and I think that is so stupid and so foolish. Because if you can avoid, you know, if you can avoid that kind of sorrow, why wouldn't you? Like, why wouldn't you change beforehand? But some people are so stubborn and so arrogant and so prideful they will not change until it's like it is right in front of their face and it is really bad. See, I don't operate like that. Once I see something that's not going right in my life, I change it immediately. I correct it immediately. I change it immediately. I address it immediately because technically, that's what we're supposed to do. That—that's what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to live in you know limbo for for our soul. He doesn't want us to live in uncertainty. He wants us to live a very good life. But here's the thing. You cannot have a good life or a blessed life if you're constantly settling for less than God's best. That's what this Psalm is saying here. That's why it's so specific. Like, God's Holy Word is not generic. It is very specific. It is very heartfelt. And the reason why is because it's holy. It's not some stupid poem, you know, written by chicken soup for the soul. It's not some new age BS, excuse my language. It's not some hateful feminist Marxist rhetoric or something. It, it's, it's God's holy word. And God's holy word is true. God's holy word is, is fulfilling. It is sustaining. The world cannot and will not sustain you. The world will chew you up and spit you out. The world, the Bible says this, the world loves what is its own. That's why I truly believe or I've noticed that I irritate quite a few people because I'm not of the world. I I don't think that way. I don't talk that way. I don't live that way. Like I am very specific. Like most women my age, I'm 39, most women my age or around my age, they're either single and shacked up, or they're married and miserable, or they're divorced and miserable. Or what what was the other option? Try to think. Try to think of all the women I've met around my age. <laughs> but I guess my point is this. Um There are many women, I would say age 18 and older, that if they're not married, but they're dating somebody, they're shacked up and participating in a lifestyle that is not what God ordained. So for me to be single and not be shacked up with a guy and for not sleeping around, that is rare. Whereas back in the day, it used to be common for both men and women to wait till they were married, to have sex, and or to live together. Like, I meet so many young people, and I'm not saying I'm old, but I meet so many, let me say younger. I meet so many younger people that are in their 20s. I'm shocked that they are shacked up. They are shacked up all over the place in so many different apartments. I mean, it's, it's insane. Most of my neighbors, if they're younger than me, they're not married and they're shacked up. They're using each other for sex and for a house. Well, it's not a house because it's an apartment, but they're, they're, they're using each other for money and for a place to live. Because they use the excuse, well, we're trying to save money. Okay, then work on your own budget. You know, to save money, you should not have to degrade yourself, your body, or your soul. Like, that just doesn't make sense. But I've noticed over the years that people, they're sexually active at a younger and younger age. But they're not married. Being sexually active at a younger age is nothing new. But what is new, I would say fairly recent, like within the last... 40 or 50 years, is that usually when people became sexually active, even as a young person, they were married. Like just think back to the 1950s and 60s and maybe the 1970s. A lot of people got married to become sexually active. And if that meant they were in high school or fresh out of high school, that was just what their age happened to be. But these days... People don't associate sex with marriage. That's a problem. That's a big problem. Because you're seeking counsel from the ungodly. And you're walking with the ungodly. And you're standing with sinners. And I'm not saying to shame or blame them or to shun them. I'm not saying that at all. You should pray for them. But it's important to say it like it is and say, hey, your lifestyle is not appropriate. I can't tell you how many young women, young men don't do this, but young women, if they're shacked up and sleeping with a guy, they act like they're married. But the guy doesn't act like they're married. he's, He's getting free sex, free food, probably a free home. But he's not acting like he's married. He may be acting like he has a girlfriend. But the woman, she's basically playing house. She's basically playing house and she's also being a harlot. But it just happens to be to one guy. So the, the way that men and women view sex is completely different. Completely different. Which is why it's very important that you walk with the godly. And that that you associate with like-minded people that actually want what is best for you. I can't tell you how many people I've worked with over the years. They will just automatically assume, well, I know you're not going to like me or my lifestyle. I'm like, how do you know that? They know from how I walk and talk and from what I say that there is no way I'm going to live the way that they are so some people are very awful to me like they don't even give me a chance to be their friend because they already feel ashamed of what they're doing so instead of I would say giving others a chance to be their friend they just automatically assume that if someone's not like them that they are against them and that that's just not true you know, just because I disagree with someone in their lifestyle, that doesn't mean that I don't love them. Like there was one girl I worked with. This was, oh man, this was years ago. Her sister, I, I could tell that that she was in a mood. That this this this, this girl, she was way younger than me at the time. And, um, I could tell she's in a mood. And I was like, hey, what's going on? Like, you kind of don't seem like yourself. And she just, well, I know you're not going to agree with this. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, just be real. Just be real. Just be chill. What's going on? Like, just say it like it is. I can tell something's wrong. She goes, well, my sister had an abortion. She goes, I know you're not going to like that. I was like, it's not about what I like. I was like, it's not about me. It has nothing to do with me. It's like, your sister had an abortion. She's a grown woman. She made a choice. I don't agree with it (laughs) at all. But, you know, it's her life. She's going to live it how she wants. I was like, what does that have to do with you and I working with each other? And so the, the longer we talked, the more I got the feeling that she really wanted to be an aunt, she really wanted to have a niece or a nephew. She didn't want her sister to have an abortion. She found out after the fact, you know, basically what her sister did. Then this girl tells me that, well, you're not going to like this either. I was like, why do you keep saying these weird, hateful comments to me? I was like, stop talking to me like that. I was like, "I, you know, one day you act like I'm your friend. The next day you're, you're shaming me because you think you know me. I was like, get over yourself. I was like, what are you talking about? And she goes, well, my sister's had multiple abortions. I was like, so she's using abortion as birth control? And she goes, yes. I was like, well, do you think that's smart? And she goes, no. So I said, well, what she should do is get on the on the pill. Abortion can be a very dangerous medical procedure. It's, it's not foolproof, especially surgical or chemical. It's, it's very gruesome. I was like, all she has to do is go to Planned Parenthood and get free birth control. She can be on the pill, so that way she won't have to have abortions. She needs to take control of her life and her life choices. And this this girl, she was angry at her sister. She was angry that she's not going to have a niece or a nephew. And so she kind of just took it out on me because she knows I'm conservative. And I don't mean like just like politically, but I happen to be a conservative woman, just overall. And I told her, I said, you know, you make it very difficult to be friends with you because of your attitude problem. She's like, what? I was like, that right there. And Mind you, we we're probably like 10 years apart. So if I was 29, she would have been 19. So, I mean, it was it was difficult working with her. And sure enough, she later was fired. She gave attitude and lip to a manager and somebody else, and they fired her on the spot. And I told her, way before she was fired, I said, look, your attitude problem is going to get you fired. I was like, it has nothing to do with your skin color. It has nothing to do with what's going on in your private life or or political issues or anything like that. It's like, it's your attitude. It's your attitude. Because when you come to work, it should be about work. I was like, but unfortunately... You're bringing all your drama to work, and then you're making it very difficult to work with you. I was like, you know what you know when you're in a good mood and and your your mind is on your work, you're actually a really good worker, you're actually really nice, but you know i sometimes I just feel like I don't know who you are because you get so mean and hateful and you're 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 mean and hateful with me, and it's like like do you have any idea like How much I've been trying to help you. And she just kind of looked at me. I said, you know, do you realize how many people have not liked your work? They don't like your work ethic. And that you are a very difficult employee because of your attitude problem. And I keep saying, hey, give her a chance. Give her a chance. You know, she's younger than most of us. You know, she's she's just very opinionated. Just just give her a chance. I was like, look, that's only going to go so far. I was like, but if you piss off, excuse my language, if you anger or irritate the wrong person, like a higher up, there's nothing I can say or do to help you <laughs> from losing your job. And sure enough, she gave someone lip and attitude and man, she was fired on the spot. And she tried to make it seem like it was about race and about something else. And I just shook my head and we're just all like, man, I just thought she is screwed up. There is something not right with her. Here's the thing. Who do you think she was walking with? Who do you think she was seeking counsel from? Who do you think she was associating with? She was not living the right kind of life. Not at all. She thought that she could just be disrespectful to people based on, oh, she has the right to, like, freedom of speech or whatever. But it's like, yes, you have freedom of speech, but you do not have the right to be disrespectful, especially at a job. Like, that's just not how real life is. And so whenever people would try and correct her, especially her managers, I was not her manager, I would say, she viewed me more as a mentor, but she kind of treated me like garbage and trash, and I just got sick of it. And I said, look, if you're going to come, there was one time I told her, I said, look, if, if you're not in a good mood or if you're, if you're going to come over here and be mean to me and talk to me like that, I don't want you over here. I don't want you come to visit me. I just don't, because you, you are being very disrespectful to me, and you're being disrespectful to other people, and I'm not going to be around that. I'm not going to tolerate it. And all of that made her mad. Why? Because I let my light shine. And she didn't like that. She did not want to be corrected in any way, shape, or form. And I understand correction can hurt, but here's the thing when someone needs to be corrected, it's just that they need to be corrected. And I guarantee you, if she has not had a religious moment <laughs> or a come to Jesus moment, she's probably still mean. She's probably still bitter, and she's probably not a very successful individual because of her attitude. She has a chip on her shoulder. At least she did. I don't know if she still does, but she um, she um had a chip on her shoulder. She would use the race card. I mean, she would use all these just really screwed up ways of thinking to give herself permission to be mean to other people, people that she doesn't even know. Like, it, it was an election year, and... She walked in and she brought up politics, but she did it in a mean way. Like, I don't care if someone brings up politics, not at all. But she goes, oh, well, I bet I know who you vote for, a Republican. I was like, wow, how do you know that? You don't know how I voted. And she kind of goes, what? I was like, you don't know how I voted. That's not your business. I was like, that, that is none of your business at all. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, <laughs> it's really getting old that you think I'm just some walking, talking Republican all the time. I was like, there's so many things that that the Republican Party does I do not agree with, that I do not agree with at all. And she just kind of stood there with her mouth open. I was like, you don't know me. I don't know you. Stop acting like you know everything. You don't. You don't know the first thing about me. I mean, this girl, she was so unbelievably racist. You know, so eventually I just had to say, hey, I don't want you coming around my area anymore and talking to me if you're going to talk to me like that. It's very disrespectful. I was like, and I don't deserve to be treated like that. I was like, if you want to talk politics, that's fine, but you need to do so respectfully. I I was like, I know people that vote Republican, Democrat, Independent, and sometimes it varies from election to election. What do I care? I was like... Look, when someone's my friend, they're my friend. But she didn't view it like that. She had a very hateful mindset, even for a, a younger person. She was very hateful. And she could be very ghetto, very trashy at times. And it's like she would slip into it. And then she would all of a sudden start acting kind of classy. But it was like, okay, what what face is she going to put on today kind of thing? Like she was very two-faced. And that very much disappointed me because I, I saw a really nice, kind person in her. It's just that it was being destroyed by her thinking. That's what this psalm is talking about. You're You're not going to be blessed if you are having counsel with the ungodly. Or if you are around bad people. Or or if it's just your negative, bitter thinking. Like, you're not going to be blessed. And she didn't get that. She thought she should be paid no matter what she did. (laughs) It just wasn't right. And I would just laugh. I'm like, oh my gosh. I was like, you you don't really understand what it means to have a job, do you? Like, you just don't understand. I was like, "You, you don't have a work ethic. And she just goes, what? I was like, you heard me you just don't have a a, a good work ethic. You just don't have it. I was like, you need to develop that. Because if you don't develop that, you're going to go through a lot of jobs. You're going to go through a lot of jobs, and you're going to get very bitter. And you're going to think it's everybody else's fault when it's not. I'm not saying every employer is perfect. I'm not. Because none of them are. And not all of them are bad. But, you know, as workers – in this world, we have a responsibility to have a work ethic and to do our best, regardless of our circumstances. That That's just how it is. And, you know, the way I view work, and I'll close with this, I view work as a, a break from my home life or from my dating life or from any kind of stress in my personal life. Like, that's probably why I love to work so much, because it, it provides me a break. And I'm not saying that my life is super stressful, but... I always viewed work as me time. And then I can, I can utilize that me time as helping my employer and helping whoever else I work with. I used it as an opportunity to grow into a better and more professional woman in my career. I didn't bring my, I did not bring my home life to work and I did not bring my work life home. I always keep them separate. The, one of the biggest problems that so many people make, especially women, is they combine those two. I'm like, you can't do that and be normal. You, you just cannot. You know, the workplace is not a sorority house. You've got to grow up. So, but anyway, I will stop there for this lovely episode. But as usual, until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. God bless and bye-bye.